Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Beko and my partner, Hari. Hello. Welcome to the episode, everybody. Um, we are recording today, just for context, uh, July 19th. Uh, we are still in the midst of COVID-19 pandemic, the shutdown here in the US. Um, so how are you, Hari? Are you okay? I'm good. How about you? Good, good. You know, California and, and Texas, I think, have been hit quite hard. Um, California just announced that uh, we are still, we're not going to reopen. In fact, we are going the op- opposite direction. We're shutting things down again. How is it in Texas? Uh, Texas, they're pausing everything is what they've said. So stores are still open. Uh, there are mask requirements um, for any indoor event that are not really all that well enforced. And then... Uh, for the most part, uh, nothing has really, I think only bars are the only thing that I can see that's really scaled back um, hmm. that was at one time open. So they were only I open see. for a couple of weeks. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> the uh, Texas is, I, I think, statistically there, we have, there was a peak like four or five days ago. I think it's too early to tell if it's the peak or, and we're going to see a second jump, but if you look at most of the uh, the graphs that we've seen, the uh, peak hits, and then it's about three to four weeks after that the the start, and then it, it kind of trails off after three or four weeks. So mm-hmm. hopefully we're at the peak right here. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope um, you and your family's doing okay. Yeah, yeah, we're we're fine. Yeah. So cool. I hope uh, you guys, listeners, are doing okay as well wherever you are. Um, you know, this pandemic has lasted much more, much longer than I initially anticipated. Maybe it was foolish of me to anticipate that it might have ended soon, but here we are, middle of July. All right, let's get let's get on with our episode. Uh, Hari, uh, start us with start us off with a quick disclaimer. Yeah, this is the Value Investor TV podcast. We're a podcast that helps you understand the concepts behind value investing. We don't know your specific financial situation, nor are we financial advisors. So please consult with your uh, appropriate uh, tax or financial advisor before making any decisions. Great. All right, let's get on with our episode. So today in this episode, we want to talk about return on capital. Uh, you know, this is this is such a central concept to value investing that I think is, re- re- is it is definitely worth reiterating many, many times over. And I think we do in our episodes, not on this one, not only on this one, but also just in regular episodes when we talk about businesses. But in this episode, we thought it'd be prudent for us to revisit this topic once again and really uh, answer some questions that we've got about the return on capital and why it's such an important you know, pillar and tenant of value investing. So Hari, why don't we start with a definition of what is return on capital and then we can go from there. Yeah, so the 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 concept here is that anything that is returned is usually some income metric, whether it's net income or EBIT, um, earnings before interest and taxes, um, divided by some measure of capital, whether that's uh, equity, which is assets minus liabilities, um, which is shareholders' equity, whatever they own. So the idea behind the general concept is you want to see Based on how much money uh, does a company have to put up, what kind of return do they get? Um, and the reason this is super important is that as a shareholder, you put your capital at risk. 
right? When you invest in a business, right? You put that money in to start a business, to fund it, to keep it growing. You exchange that for equity. The equity is there to return some amount of money back to you over a longer period of time. So you put up $100 today with the intent of in the future that you would get your $100 back plus, you know, more. So if you put up $100 and you get $20 back per year, um, that's obviously better than getting $10 back per year, right? Because there's a certain amount of time before it comes back uh, to you, right? So this is the 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 concept though is super important because as a business owner you are you know and we you know we haven't said this in a long time but this is super critical to the concepts behind value investing is that uh, as a business owner or as an investor you are an owner of the business right you just may own a small percentage of it um but you have to think like a business owner right and a, a business owner would want to maximize their rate of return Right. And so, you know, we talked about return on equity, return on other forms of return on capital are uh, return on capital employed, which is the total assets that were put into the business minus the current liabilities. And so the idea is that current liabilities aren't really, you know, they, they are uh, subtracted out because the capital that you're employing into the business um, is what you're trying to measure your rate of return. And you use a the EBIT there because you want to exclude uh, the purchase of uh, or, or uh, depreciation, or your, I'm sorry, your post depreciation and amortization, but your pre, um, the uh, capital sorry. structure, the debt of the company. Yeah. Uh, so yep. go ahead, Becco. Yeah, I, I just want to kind of sum, sum all those things up. I think we can go down to the details here in a bit. But, you know, effectively, the way to think about return on capital and it really helped to think of it this way for me, at least, is when you think about like engines, for example, when you're designing engines, right? You want it to be as efficient as possible with the fixed uh, fixed amount of gas that you have, right? So think of a car, for example, you pour in, I don't know, 10 gallons of gas, gasoline in your car. You want that gas, you want that gas to long, last as long as possible, drive long, longest distance as possible. You know, that's the metric of efficiency. If you think about that concept, it's effectively the same thing. How much money are you putting into the company and how how long can you last? What is the efficiency? Because you know, you don't want to you don't, you know, you know, you don't want generally speaking, obviously there are cases where you need like big horsepower cars and things like that. But generally what you want is a car that's efficient, using, you know, as much as efficient as possible, right? You don't want to pour 10 gallons of gasoline and then it just runs out in in like a mile, right? That's you don't want that. So in the same light, return on capital is the same exact concept. It's just applied to businesses. You want your business to businesses to be as efficient as possible with the capital that you're giving them. You know that is you know your blood and you know blood and blood and, and sweat and tears. Uh, the money that you earn, you're giving it to them. You are risking your capital. You want that capital to last as long as possible, and and use in the most efficient way. So I just want to kind of cap capture that essence. Yeah, and I, I think the important thing here is that um, in a business that you are, you're trying to, like we said, there, there's company that returns 20% is much better than a company that returns 10%, right? Well, the important aspect of the return part of it is what do you do with that money after it's generated, right? 
So in a in a in a business that um, is growing, right, and it has a high rate of return, you would want to take that money, put that in back into the business, right? So invest. So if let's say that you were running a successful restaurant franchises, well, you could take the money that is generated from that and pocket it, right? Um, and the idea is that if you pocket it, you put it in your pocket and you know stuff it in your bank account you would want to have a high rate of return if you were to do that, right? So this goes back to the concept of opportunity costs, right? Everything that we do in investing is based on opportunity costs. If I can get a rate of return that's 20%, I want to put all of the money I can back into that investment and let it grow because I will be able to grow the equity at 20% um, per year and then I'll subsequently be able to grow the the. Uh, investment uh, or I'll, I'll, my return, if it all else being equal, I will get another 20%. So for example, um, we start a business, I have $100 in equity. The first year it returns 15%. So in that, re that uh, rate of return that I'm seeing, right, what I am getting out of that is $15 in net income. That net income gets put back into the business. Now I have $115 in equity. Right. If I now put that $115 of equity back to work, I'll get another 15% return. Right. And then what we're going to see is a, um, you know, about $20, 18 to $20 that gets returned. We put that back into the business and rinse and repeat. Right. And so that's how businesses grow. And so Charlie Munger has said that the rate of return that you are going to see over the long period of time is equal to the return on capital, right? And that's the important metric that you should pay attention to because if you are looking at the return on capital, you're going to take that money, you're going to reinvest it back into your own business, right? Um, and this is probably the most, you know, abstract, advanced concept in, in value investing, but it's also the most important, right? So if you're looking at a business all else being equal, they're equally undervalued, and one is giving you a 20% rate return on capital, and another is giving you a 15%. Well, the answer is not to invest in both, right? The answer is to go with the one that has the higher rate of return on capital, because over the long haul, that one will have the better business metrics, right? Now, what are what are some that that seems very obvious and and uh, seems very logical, but people don't do don't do logical things uh, many times what you know what are some reasons why people would actually invest in both well so th you know the 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 thing is is that you think you're going to diversify you think you're going to have uh, you know de-risk your asset by putting it in but in reality the the problem with that that statement is that one is a better business right if you could only you know, you as an owner of one business, you are going to pick the one that has the best rate of return, right? So when you look at, um, like we talked about McDonald's in our last episode, our last couple of episodes, and what you see there is is McDonald's as a company, they own some of their restaurants, but they also franchise their restaurants. And in the franchising process, they essentially retain the rights and the brand name, and then they make everybody else put in the capital to uh, into the business. So McDonald's capital is not at risk in this case, right? Now their reputation is at risk, so they have to control for that, right? But the idea here is that they put in less capital, but they they still get a return on their, 
you know, uh, essentially they get a cut of the revenue for that new business that opens, the new franchise, right? And so you see a lot of businesses that are somewhat capital intensive, you know, try and shift to a capital light business model, right? And so um, if we look at uh, Wyndham Group, right, or um, Hilton, right? So Hilton doesn't actually own the hotels. So what they've done is they have a management uh, arm of the business um, that is essentially all they do is manage the 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 people and the 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 actual hotels, and then the physical property is is uh, is owned by a different group. So they mm-hmm. the the advantage of that is that Hilton doesn't have to spend the capital for uh, um, buying the hotel. They don't have to have a big you know debt load. They don't have to own all of these assets. They don't have to maintain the assets. Um, they maintain the people, they maintain the brand, they have the loyalty program, they do the advertising, right? And so it allows them to focus. It also allows them to be in a capital light environment. Um, and then there's also some uh, financial benefits in terms of the hotel physical, you know, the, the owner of the f- physical property uh, can be classified as a REIT and doesn't have to pay income taxes. They they pay everything out as a dividend. Uh, right. Yeah, just... Just to kind of, yeah, so so like capital efficiency, there's different like corporate structures to avoid, uh, not avoid, but to be a little bit more cap- capital efficient. Everything, you know, everything we discussed here is really driving towards this concept of trying to be as efficient with capital as much as possible. Because uh, that's what, you know, that's what companies and good managements are supposed to do, um, you know, to be to be to be as efficient as, as possible with the capital at hand. Um, I do want to bring us back to the point that we uh, that you touched on earlier in the episode, which is you know different types of metrics: return on capital, return on uh, you know return on equity, return on invested capital, et cetera, et cetera. And we mentioned these things in our episode, right? We talk about return on equity, return on assets. But maybe for listeners, you know, what are some things that you have to be aware of when using these different metrics? For example, you know, return on equity, it's just talking about the equity basis. So it doesn't cover debt load, for example. What are some things that you have to keep in mind when you're using these metrics? Yeah, I think the 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 mainstay here is to not use one in isolation, right? And so return on equity, if you have a, um, you know, return on equity is the assets minus the liabilities. So if a company has a lot of assets and not a li- lot of liabilities, um you know, their equity base is larger, right? Um, and so a return on equity may be uh, artificially uh, lower. Um, whereas a company that has a lot of debt, you know, the liability is higher. So the equity goes smaller. Um, so think of, think of a house. Um, you know, if you buy a house with 10% down, a $100,000 house, you put in $10,000. The $10,000 that you put up front is the equity. Um, the asset is a hundred thousand. That's the house. The liability is ninety thousand. And then if you go and rent that out for uh, ten thousand dollars a year, right? You can get a very high return on equity, right? But really, what's ha- actually happening is you have a liability that's part of this, right? So your return on invested capital, which is the assets plus the liability, um, is. Uh, you know, is actually much higher in this case, right? And so, you know, you, you know, you're actually dividing. You that you know that is ten percent in this case, whereas the return on equity is is a hundred percent, right? So you have to be kind of careful of how you measure that. 
Yeah, for sure. That's why in our episodes, when we talk about companies, we look at return on equity, return on assets, return on invested capital, return on capital employed is another one that we look at. But you know, to your point, Hari, you know, looking at multiple things and sort of trying to map out what this whole company's about using all these different metrics is the main point here. I also want to point out that some companies will really, um, really uh, champion one particular metrics yeah i think you got to be very suspicious of that when companies are really championing one over another uh, another and sometimes companies will make up their own fictitious um return on capital like pseudo-esque sort of metrics where they will look at like incremental return on capital so they don't take into account like the whole entire company they'll take into account a couple of years of return for example so just got to be very, you got to watch out for those, those gotchas. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, the three that you should be paying attention to are return on equity, return on invested capital and return on capital employed. Between those three, you're probably going to catch any kind of outliers. And if there's one that's one of those metrics or two of those metrics that are very different from the other, you know, then you should be kind of wary about why, you know, you should know why that is. Um, you know, one of the things that um, we've talked, I mean, we've talked about this as a long-term growth perspective, um, that they they will grow based on how much capital is put back into the business. Well, some businesses, um, and I pick on Macy's all the time, um, they don't have any growth, right, left in them, right? There aren't more malls that need to be uh, stocked with another Macy's. Um, so what do you what do you do with this return on capital metric, Right. Well, the return on capital is still important here because the the return that you get is going to be dependent, like I said, on the return on capital, the long-term return that you get, right? If I am able to um, get, you know, and there's two ways of getting this, right? One of those is the growth that you put into the business. The other is that a company can pay you dividends. And I'm, I'm going to simplify share buybacks and dividends into one bucket for, for the simplicity of the discussion, right? That if I can get my money paid back to me as a dividend, um, that is another way for me as, as, as a shareholder to be rewarded with um, this business, right? The capital employed is still important in this case because... Your growth, your long-term growth of the stock, let's say a company puts some money back into the into growth and the other percent of it is paid out as dividends. Well, the amount that is put into the growth is going to be less than the 20% return on capital that you saw, right? So that number, the amount that actually goes back into the equity growth rate is actually what your long-term growth is for that business. So in the case of a business that's putting nothing, right, you're going to see a 0% growth in your long-term equity, right? So why this is so important is when you do a discounted free cash flow, right, you want to look at the equity growth rate of the business. And that is re- really what your long-term um, you know, growth rate should be when you measure your investment, right? So if, if your equity growth rate is 
20% or, or you're using that in your free cash flow estimates, you know, your discounted free cash flow, but the, the equity growth has only been 10% for the last five years. Well, then you're going to have skewed numbers in the wrong direction, right? That you're going to make this company look cheaper than it actually is, right? So you should pay attention to what the equity growth rate is because that is telling you how much is actually going back into the business. Yeah, definitely. Um, speaking of equity, I do want to point out one thing which is you know found when i first ran into this i found it really puzzling when you do return on equity analysis or any sort of this return on equity or return on uh, invested capital all these other things sometimes you might end up with a negative number and why is that and that's because for example if you look at a return on equity equity might be negative and so to those out there who are running into this issue what do you say to them what do you need to think about? Well, so return on equity could be could potentially be negative if the assets are smaller than the liabilities, right? And so for those people that are running into that, one simple solution is you do a return on invested capital, which is assets plus liabilities. Um, and that, that gives you a more, it will give you a positive number as long as the net income or the EBIT is, is above zero. Um, but what... I mean, one of the things that you need to pay attention to is if the assets are, my, are greater or less than the liabilities, um, you know, that that essentially means that the company has to pay out more than its assets are worth at some point. Now, is that because the liabilities are actual liabilities or are they, you know, liabilities that may not materialize but have to be recorded like pension liabilities? I, I think the main thing is to look and see what is the the actual um, reason for that, right? So businesses may have legitimate reasons to have an asset base that is smaller than the liability base. Um, you know, for for certain types of businesses, it's acceptable. Like for banks, it is, you know, it would be a, a terrible uh, thing for a bank to have because a ba bank is essentially, you know, liquid assets and, you know, the loans that it hands out and the liabilities that it has are things that it has to pay out you know, so eventually that that is going to hurt it. Other businesses may not have that requirement because they are, um, you know, their liabilities may be pension or some other thing that is not uh, not an actual payout. Um, <clears throat> so if you do encounter that, I the thing I would say is uh, I look at return on capital and return on capital, I'm sorry, return on invested capital, return on capital employed as better metrics than return on equity by itself. Um, and I, I would I would highly recommend looking at that and seeing what it does look like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. Um, is there anything else that you want to mention about this uh, return on equity concept? I know it's you know as I said, this is such a central dogma, central thesis. And, you know, cent you know it's, it's a pillar of value investing, so everyone should be really familiar with it, not just on paper, but really you know if you can really wrap your head around this, I think this will really take you a long way. Anything else, Hari, on this topic? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the only thing that, you know, you really need to pay attention when you're looking at it, and the reason that this is important is if the quality of the business matters, which is how Becco and I always pitch businesses, then the return on capital is your most important metric, right? Um, if the quality of the business doesn't matter, which is you're looking for cigar butts or the uh, the value of the company is, you know, so um, so much higher than the current trading price, that you're looking for a one-time gain and then you're selling the business, you know, the return on capital is not the most important metric, right? The, the At that point, the 
stability of earnings and the likelihood that they will uh, bump, you know, you know, is you know, there's a catalyst for them to return the share price, uh, you know, to meet the value. Um, then that's the most important thing, right? So mm-hmm. Becco and I have mostly talked about the long-term buy and hold of great businesses. And I, I think that's a great way to invest. But return on capital is 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 most important in that style of value investing. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, just, yeah. I think that's a great way to end the, end the episode. There are other ways to play as a value investor in the market. One way that we like to, we elect to, play in the market is by looking for excellent businesses with high returns on capital. There are other ways to invest as a value investor. Not, uh, not, this is not the only way. So great way to wrap it up. All right, guys, well, thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you guys stay safe. Uh, see you in the next episode. Thank you guys. Thanks. 